Hey there, friends. It is The Real Mom Podcast, and today I am talking to Heather Avis, my favorite advocate, Instagrammer, author. She is awesome, and today we talk her new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, and actually we talk her old book because I have shared about this book before. I love it. The Lucky Few. And Heather is the adoptive mom of three kids, two who have Down syndrome, and she really is just such a gift. The perspective shift that she offers this episode, I feel like is going to be maybe the first time that some people have considered this, and it has really affected me. And the way that I think about our kids who have different stories and different needs and really just honoring who God made them to be, and lessons that we can learn from them. I loved getting to talk to Heather. I loved getting to learn from her, and I'm so excited to be able to share this with you. So enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. All right, Heather, I am so excited to be talking to you. I have followed you for years and loved your first book and love this new book. So I'm super excited to be meeting you, really. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for following along. Yeah, good to meet you too. Yeah, I love your story, your children, and the way that you <laughs> share about them. Oh my word. First of all, they are gorgeous. They are really good looking kids. And I feel like as an adoptive mom, I mean, I think any mom can say that, but I feel it's like a major perk. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think mostly moms have to be like, thank you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, they exactly. Gorgeous. <laughs> okay. So tell us a little bit about your family. Sure. So my husband and I, we've been married for 17 years and um, we have three kids all through adoption. We live in Southern California and all of our kids came, were born in Southern California. They all have unique um, family history, but they were all born in Southern California. So our oldest daughter, her name is Mason. We call her Macy. And she is 11. Um, she came home when she was four months old. Uh, she has Down syndrome and she's Armenian. She's full Armenian. Um, our middle daughter, Truly, is eight. And she came home at six, a little, a week shy of six months old. Okay. Um, and she is African-American and Guatemalan. My husband and I are both Caucasian. Um, and she doesn't have a disability or any kind of special needs. And then our youngest son, August is, he came home. We got him from the hospital. We got to be at the hospital that he was born, not in the birth, but hours after. And, um, he's five and a half and he also has Down syndrome and he's Caucasian. Yeah. Okay. And it's funny because on one hand, you want to just be like, well, all my children, they're all equal. I love them. But for our purposes, having those sort of designations help Mm -hmm. us understand where you're coming from and a little bit more about your journey. And I know that we have lots of people who are listening who are going to find themselves in different pieces of that. And so I'm really glad that you broke that down like that. I also have 11, 8, and 5. Oh my gosh. Yes, we have our matching ages. Now I have two others thrown in. Okay. And, um, (laughs) you know, but, but we have adoption and we have needs. And so are they older or younger? Your two others? uh, My kids are 11, eight, six, five, and one. Okay. And two are biological, two came through adoption, through foster care. And then one is our little foster babe. 
So awesome. Fun. Yeah. I have learned just so much about, man, about special needs, but also about the beautiful, beautiful perspective that you have, the way that you treasure your children and the way mm-hmm. that you talk about who they are as a gift. Man, that has been an example to me in, you know, we have different stories, but in the same sort of accepting my child and accepting their story and who they are and what they are capable of. And so I would love to hear from you just a little bit more about what it's been like for you to really embrace maybe a new normal from what you Mm -hmm. thought it was going to look like to have children and be a mom. Yeah. Um, I mean, our story is definitely one of missed expectations and changed expectations. Um, I didn't ever intend to adopt kids. I know people who that is, they went out looking to be an adoptive parent, but that wasn't our hope or desire. And then we never anticipated having kids who have down syndrome or disabilities. And so, um, yeah, I think our story is one of, like I said, of expectations. And I think missed expectations is a good way to look at it. And it's been, I mean, it's just radically changed my life. I think parenthood changes you um, drastically. And then a child with a disability changes you drastically. And then adoption changes you drastically. And so we just have a lot of layers. Yeah. (laughs) But it really has changed me as a human in ways that I'm really grateful for. There were lots of times that I wasn't super thankful. You know, like I I always just say the days that I was in it, um, there's seasons where you're just in it and it's just hard. And you just want out so desperately. And it's hard, I think, with us, with the different layers that we have. I don't know what's what. So is this mm. an adoption thing? Is this a Down syndrome thing? Is this a just being a parent? Right, you know, like, right. I don't know what's what. And we never really will because it's, right. it's just our story. I feel like I'm rabbit trailing here a little bit. but I would love to hear just what it's like to really embrace and advocate for your kids with their different needs. Yeah. So my second book is called scoot over, make some room. And it was, um, it was just written out of a place of after having a daughter who has down syndrome and for raising her, when I wrote the book, she was nine. So raising her for nine years and in those nine years realizing like, Oh, wait a second, the spaces that I've always been able to walk into easily she's not really welcome here. No one's saying that, you know, like no one's saying right. those words, but the systems in play that I slide so ni- nicely into, she actually can't and they're not built for her. And it's not that the systems are broken. They're built this way on purpose and they don't work for her. And this is wrong. Um, and it's wrong on a lot of levels. It's wrong on like the human level that who determines what kind of human is better than another. And then it's wrong on the sense of, what I realized being super immersed into the Down syndrome community and then being really trying to be really intentional within the rate, the talk of race um, is that there's a lot that's not working for a lot of different people. But when you step into those spaces as someone where systems are working for you, then realizing like, Oh my gosh, God's actually here. And there's so much to learn. Um, there's so much I was missing out on. So for me, it felt like, whoa, I was missing out on learning from and receiving from um, incredible people groups that I, that I've been programmed to disregard, you know, and, and wait a second, all of humanity is missing out on this. Like if we continue down the trajectory that we're on, 
with school and church and extracurricular and just like step outside your front door. The world's made for one kind of person initially. And we can shout inclusion and we can shout diversity. Right. But until we actually do the work that it takes to make space for everybody, um, not only are those, not only is that an injustice to whole people groups, but everybody else is actually missing out on what it really means to be human on to like what it means to have a full life. If we don't make space for different kinds of people within our space. Yeah. It, it's so good because it, it's the picture of the body of Christ. hundred, And yet we look at it as if, as if there's like, well, there are these parts that don't fit in. And yet there are parts that were created specifically for a purpose to, to accomplish his will. And then also to do something in us. Yeah. And the lessons that are there for us are just as important as us coming alongside and helping others. Yeah. And I think what's happened in the church, what I've observed is I call it a hero complex. There's mm. this like fostering of, if you take care of this people group, that makes you a hero. And again, maybe those words aren't being spoken specifically, yeah. but that's the sentiment behind it. And it's even like, uh, and I could go, I'll say things that will feel hard for people to hear and offensive, but like when it comes to church stuff, but even like a short-term missions trip, you know, like I went on those trips as a kid from a predominantly white church to a place in the world where I'm, we're the only white people. And no one was talking to me about be cautious of white savior complex. Like no yeah. one was talking to me about those things as a child. I was just yeah. walking in and that was my narrative. Like, look at me, the American good for me. We're so kind and wonderful. When in fact it's like, Oh wait, this is the kingdom of God in this place. And God is, is God's image is in these people. And like there's, we can't have an us versus them. It's just an us. And when we understand that, but we have to like take that mantle of hero off, you know? So I Absolutely. feel like that's, that's happening in a lot of different spaces. And I think with the disability community, it's even more so because I think the differences between neurotypical able-bodied people and people with um, disabilities are pretty, they seem huge, like really massive differences that feel really hard to get over or into or however, however you want to look at it. And so then we create even more so an S versus them and mm. um, society. It hasn't been that many years in our society where people with disabilities are given rights at all. Mm. And, and so it's deeply ingrained in who we are. And unless we are aware of that, and unless we are intentional about fighting against it, really, then it's going to continue that way. And the truth is we are missing out on the fullness of God unless we're in relationships with those people, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. And this conversation, it's about so much more than parenting kids with special needs. Yeah. <laughs> this is about all of us living with humility and living with the beauty of God's creation and yeah. seeing that like, I mean, not to be cliche, but like God doesn't make mistakes. <laughs> Right. That God really creates in beauty and perfection. There's something for all of us in that to, like you said, the kingdom in its fullness. Yeah. But I want to talk a little more, probably less up here and more practically <laughs> of what it does look like to be, well, let's start with this, what it looks like to be an advocate because you're an advocate mm -hmm. in your space. I'm an mm -hmm. advocate in my space. What does it look mm -hmm. like to be an advocate with that overwhelming humility that it is not me coming in as the mm. savior, but that there is really just this embracing of, of 
what God has called us to in humility. I don't know. Speak to that because you, I feel like you are so good at this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Um, I mean, a couple of things I've learned as an advocate, I think that one, one point that I think is really important is to realize that advocacy to choose to not advocate, to have the choice of advocacy is a privilege. Um, and so I didn't realize that until I had kids that it, it was no longer a choice for me. Right. Like, and there are a lot of people who are born into a certain are born a certain way that to advocate is not a choice. They are, they have right. to advocate for themselves, for their family, for their people group. And so if you find yourself as not in a space of advocacy, just recognizing that's actually a privilege to get to choose not to, mm-hmm. and you, you have the choice to, to do that. You know, like there's somebody's behind you who's behind you who can advocate for it. So that was a big learning moment for me. And and helps me stepping into my advocacy role. And then the other piece that I've learned that I really believe is that to be, to be um, an advocate in a way that you still have a bit of humility, I think the most powerful advocates are listeners and learners first. And you have to step into advocacy as a listener and a learner. And I think a lot of times it feels opposite. Like an advocate, I think people view like, on your soapbox shouting and yeah. spreading your, your message. But I think if you're, if you want to have do advocacy in a real meaningful way, it starts with listening, learning. Um, yeah. And yeah. also raising the voices of those who you want to be heard and listen totally. to. And that's totally. what you're so good with your book and your podcast. This isn't just Heather talking about this. This is how can we be together hearing these voices? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also, I recognize in my role of advocacy, I'm advocating for others, not totally for myself. Like I'm advocating people yeah. with Down syndrome specifically and then people with disabilities um, or, or significant differences. And there are people who are in that group who can advocate for themselves. So it is uh, like, if you're, where's your heart at in this? Are you trying to gain something for yourself or are you trying to really plow a path hmm. where a path isn't? And then if that's the case, then hand the mic to whoever else needs the mic, you know, like that's really important as an advocate. And again, it's that sense of humility in your advocacy role. Is this for you? And if, if you're not willing to hand the mic to somebody else, then it might be time to, to cool off a little bit and check your heart, you know? Yeah. All right. So I want to hear more about how you have specifically advocated for your children. Okay. So practically, what has it looked like for you to show up in church and at school and with, you know, friends, parents and all of that and speak up for your children and navigate all of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's been a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And so I think schools in a practical way. So in most schools in America, not all, but quite a few, the majority of schools in America are still segregated. Um, they're non-inclusive, meaning if you have a child with an IEP, which is an individual educational plan, which is a legally binding document that was put in place so that people with disabilities have access to a free and appropriate public education. It's like a, we could talk for hours and hours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We just went through this for the first time this year. It's intense. Yeah. So um, if that's the case, then, or if let's say if your kid has Down syndrome, they will have one of these IEPs and then you enter a school and they are put into a special education classroom. Um, that is most happening in most schools. And what we're saying is 
no, that's actually not the best placement for them for their sake, but also for the sake of the entire community. Hmm. And that then takes quite a bit of effort and advocacy because you're dealing with, again, a system that that's not broken. It was created this way. So we're saying, oh, we, yes, this has been happening for this many years. And yes, the laws in place, it looks as though we're doing this for the betterment of people with disabilities, but it's actually not better. Um, so we're going to challenge the whole entire system. And Damn, what you just said, it's not <laughs> broken. It was created this way. So good. This isn't a broken thing we need to fix. This is, we need to step back and actually look at the entire yeah. thing. Man. Yeah. And be willing to say, oh, we, yeah, the creation of the way that this was set up, it doesn't work for everybody. And therefore it doesn't work for anybody. Like, are we mm. willing to say that, you know? Right. Um, and that's what we're saying essentially. And so then we're having to walk into schools and, it, and it's really hard work because it's not like my daughter who is in fifth grade and has Down syndrome and has um, significant intellectual differences than her peers. She's not going to walk into a fifth grade class and do class like the class is set up for. So instead of, so then it, it, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense for her to go to a separate class because that'll be better for her. And we're saying, no, we're actually, we're actually challenging you and saying, oh, maybe the classroom just needs to be set up differently. What if we just change everything for the one person and then realize, oh, everyone's actually better off this way. So in terms of like the details of it, it's just hours of meetings and figuring learning the law and sitting down before the powers that be and saying, this is what the law says. And this is what we're requesting. And this is what we believe. And so how do we make this work? And, um, it's a lot. And how has that played out for your family specifically? Yeah. So it, we're in a really sweet space right now. And I think it's because we've worked really, really hard. Um, and because of the way that we've chosen to advocate and it was about three, it was first, second, and third grade with Mason, with our oldest, um, of, I mean, hours and hours and hours of meetings with the powers that be essentially convincing them that an inclusive education will be best for Mason and we can make it work, but it requires a lot of support and that's where it gets tricky. So for Mason, it's, she has a one-on-one aid, um, and that's necessary and helpful. And she has, we have to have an inclusion specialist, which not all districts have or offer. And so that's someone who understands inclusive practices can look at a whatever grade level they are, look at where Mason's at academically and kind of marry the two. Um, you have to have a teacher who's willing to do it. She has, she has occupational therapy and speech therapy. So we've got all these services in place that are important. Um, and so it was about three, it was three years before we landed and everyone agreed to all these supports because inclusion doesn't work unless there's support in place. If you just throw a kid in a classroom and call it inclusion, then it's not yeah. a service to anybody. Right, right. So it's, inclusion doesn't work. You have to have inclusive practices being now, implemented. You are educated. You are, mm-hmm. you have spunk. <laughs> you, like, <laughs> what about sort of your average mom who's listening? Right. Who's like, how do I go in and fight for this for my child? Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I do, I have a credential in special education. So I recognize that I've got, I've got a lot in my corner. Um, I would say to all the moms in that situation, like to, there's an, you've got to recognize that you are now in that role of you don't get to choose advocacy anymore and and to own that, you know, like to own it and, and to own it and say, not in a way that it's a burden, but what a privilege. Oh my gosh, I get to be an advocate. And the fact that I woke up this morning and my child and I are leaving our front door. Look at that. Look what a good advocate. Like, look at how I'm stepping into my advocacy. Mm. Like, own it. 
Um, don't compare it to someone else's advocacy. So the comparison game is only going to crush all our hopes and dreams. <laughs> and then um, there is a bit of educate, like you got to educate yourself and know your rights, but it's not to know that is not, it shouldn't be that overwhelming. Find a group, like go online, do a little Google at like IEP rights. And somewhere there is lots of forms, just know some of your rights. And then my biggest advice is to trust your gut. Um, I think a mama's gut is more powerful than any kind of study of the law even. And you walk in, you know your child and you know what your child needs. And so it is saying, this is what my child needs and how do we get there? Um, and then I think there is a sense of humility about it too. Like it's that balance between like mama bear yeah. and, and recognizing that you're working with other humans. So they're yeah. not the enemy because it's where you can real quick go in like the district and all the powers that be are the enemy. And being really clear and saying, Hey, I know that the system right now does not work this way. I believe this is best. This is why I also know you're an expert here and I need your help to make this work. Mm -hmm. So how can we make this work? Right. Um, and like really, tr really maintaining a team effort because it can real quick become an S versus them in the schools, unfortunately. So just not letting that happen. Like yeah. just in our IEPs, the first thing we say with a new team is we say that hey, we understand that most of your IEP meetings with parents who are wanting what we're wanting have become an us versus them and that's not going to work. And so we just want you to know that we are for you and we expect that you'll be for us and all of us are for these kids. So how do we work as a team? And just putting it out there, like saying the things that you want to say, clearing the air. I think any mama can do that. And if you have like butterflies in your stomach and you feel like you're going to puke the whole time, then you're probably doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Then you are going with your gut. That's right. That's really good. Power through. Yeah. yeah. I'm interrupting my chat to make sure that you know about the Real Mom Podcast landing page. You can find it at www.realmompodcast.com. There, I connect you to my guest. I connect you to all the resources and books and recipes and shows and everything that we discuss. That will be the best place for you to get the Real Mom Podcast experience. Visit there, www.realmompodcast.com. Now, what about in a less official context? So whether it's church or with friends, I mean, how have you, has there been ways that you've had to step up for your children or, or make paths, you know, scoot over yeah. with, with even friendships and stuff? Yeah. Um, for us, our expectation, I think expectations are big. So our expectation has always been that our kids will be fully included in the spaces we step into. Um, that's our expectation. And yeah. so it's kind of like an attitude, like you approach it that way. And then I think everyone's like, Oh, okay. Then you get in line. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you need to take it further, you do, but any church environment we walk into it, the expectation is, Oh, my kid will go to class like any other kid and they will be supported in that space as they need to. So what's it, what's in place, you know? Um, and then if there's nothing, then you take the conversation further. Um, we've had, we've been really lucky with our churches and it hasn't been something that we've come up against in terms of like a separate space for our kids with a disability. So it's, it's just kind of worked out where we've been, but I also want to note too, like a little bit of a side note, but it's relevant, um, that there are circumstances where having your kid go into the typical setting is triggering and is not helpful for your child. And that's fine. So what I say 
what I say about inclusion and inclusive practices is inclusion works for most kids with a disability. It works for all kids who don't. Um, Mm. And so if you have a child that an inclusive setting is actually going to be triggering and it's not going to be helpful, like don't worry about fighting that battle. It's not a failure for your kid to be in a special program or a special classroom at all. You do what works best for your kid. And someday we'll have a world where they we're everyone else in the general setting is figuring out that they're actually better off. And so there's enough adjustment happening so that kids don't need to be separate. Um, but if your church has a separate program and that's the only way that church works for your family, then do that separate program. But what I challenge the church, my challenge to the church is um, if ki- these, if certain kids are separated from the general public, then that's an ask you're missing out on a, p- a piece of God's heart. And so for everyone else, for everyone. Yeah. And so think through how can you, how can everybody adjust and, and bend and change something so that everyone can be with these, with the kids who are in the separate space. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. The music's too loud at worship, then turn the music down. And it's like, oh my gosh, but it's only one person. Yeah. Then turn the music down. You know, like that's do the, do the thing for the one that you can. Um, I think that's important. So yeah. And an extracurricular, like we've done da- dance class. It's the same thing. Like we, Mason, my oldest daughter has been in dance for four years now and we've been three different, different studios cause we've moved a lot. And the expectation is, Hey, my daughter's coming to your dance class. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, let me know if you, let me know if you have any questions. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it's like, well, it seems like this is really challenging for her. It's like, yeah, what can we do to support, to better support her? Right. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's very different. Oh, cool. I just feel like your attitude alone is going to be an example to moms who are listening. I know so many moms in the spaces you're in who are like, but what do I say? But what do I do? But what, but just that this is my child. They deserve Mm -hmm. this. This is what's best for them. This is what's best for everyone else in this group. I feel like that alone, like even if you don't know all of the right things to say or all of the policies are all like that alone is a game changer for how Mm -hmm. people view your child and how the right answer will fall into place. Well, she's my child. So this is just, how would would it work with your child? (laughs) And then the answer just kind of becomes clear because I think so many people are paralyzed by what do I ask for? How do I ask? What is the process? But that attitude alone is a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, for me, I, um, it's been a real growing process of really seeing for my kids, seeing the fact that they have down syndrome as an asset and not a deficit. And I think as a mom and as a parent, you want to believe that, of course, I see my child, no matter what they're like as a beautiful asset to this world. But I mean, from the day for down syndrome, for, for example, the day that you get that diagnosis, the story almost always is, well, now this is everything that's wrong, or I'm so sorry, or wow, this is so hard. And so if you're raising a child with a disability, as soon as that diagnosis comes, everyone in your sphere, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's like, wait a second, there's a, there came a moment for me, even though we, our, down, our diagnosis story is very different because I was never pregnant, you know, we chose right. Down syndrome. But there was a moment for me, it was like, wait a second, the fact that my daughter has Down syndrome and responds to the world so differently this is such an asset. And am I uncomfortable in certain spaces when she's responding to the world differently in these social settings that that's not the social norm? Yeah, I am. But I'm able to be like, no, this is, you're actually really lucky right now that she's talking to you in 
the grocery store or in the parking lot or right, whatever, right, like screaming right. across the sidewalk yeah. and then just like letting her be her. And I think yeah. as a parent, like that freedom of, okay, my kid responds differently. Um, they don't fit the social norms and everyone around is uncomfortable, including me as the mom. And that is okay. You know, like that is okay to feel that way. So to be as a parent, to see your kid, no matter where they're at, as an asset to this world. And so then with that perspective, it's like, okay, we're going to step into these spaces. And my attitude is, yeah, my kid is different. And maybe my kid's really hard. You know, like maybe these, this is yeah. every day is a really hard day. Um, but they have something to offer this world that is unique and beautiful. And so here we are, here they are like, lucky you, you know, yeah. I think that, that, that is, that's been really helpful for me to have that kind of attitude. Well, and I think that part of that is specific to having children with Down syndrome, but also mm -hmm. most of the women who are listening are foster and adoptive moms. Mm -hmm. And I think we are all showing up with kids who in one way or another have differences, totally. a different story, a different beginning, different needs. And even we, you know, we're coming into different mental health diagnoses with some of yeah. our kids and this perspective of this isn't something that's wrong, but this is a unique way that this child views the world, you know, like ADHD and Asperger's mm -hmm. and those neurological differences. Well, what are the things that they are able to see and experience and, and have a unique perspective on? Mm -hmm. And then how is that a gift to them and to the rest of us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's shifting your posture from like, right. look what I have to offer you, you poor, poor person right, with a right. whatever, you know, to, oh my gosh, this is great. I get to learn so much from you. How do I have people in my space? And am I like, how do I make sure that my kids are around people who respond to the world differently? Because then we get, we're so much better for it. Not like a service project, you know? I love it, man. Yeah. All right. I want to talk specifically adoption more because okay. I went through a journey a couple of years ago on just really having a perspective shift, like we're talking on specifically biological parents. And there are a few things that I can point to of things that really shaped my view of birth parents, different resources. And one of them was your book, The Lucky Few. Wow. And the cool. way that you kind of like we're talking, had this perspective shift of birth parents and of seeing something that's a difficulty and then switching to a gift. And what, what was it like for you to go through this same process of accepting a new norm and really having children who have a different story than your neighbors do um, when it's specifically related to adoption and not different needs? Um, yeah. I, it's a funny question for me because like I said, at the beginning of our interview, there's just all the different layers. You don't know what's what. <laughs> well, let's talk spe specifically yeah. sharing your child Adoption. with yes. another, I mean, with you, I just remember in your book when you met, I believe it was met Macy's family at the park. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. is like in my brain and <sighs> shifted my perspective. Yeah. So we went into adoption with a plan uh, we wanted a healthy infant and we would like at best pictures and letters at most, like once yeah, a year, yeah. pictures and letters of the birth parents, like give me my baby and run. That was right, my understanding right. of adoption. Our first adoption. Yep, I've changed so much. Um, and that there's a place for that, you know, like to the new adoptive parents, there's a, there's a place for that. You don't need to feel 
burdened or guilt by that. However, we were really, really blessed and lucky that our daughter's, our oldest daughter's birth family is healthy and um, like a good people to have a relationship with. And so that's not always the case, right? right in an adoption right. plan. And we had an opportunity to, to be with them. And we had a moment where they invited, they invited us to, they wanted to throw her a birthday party for her second birthday. And this all felt very terrifying to me. And we'd seen them two times before this in the two years. Um, but it was like, we were, would be in their, I mean, initially it was their house. They switched it to a park because so many people were coming. There were 19 family members there. But it's like we, on their terms, on you're their outnumbered. Terms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and it is as, a, as an adoptive parent. It's like, okay, my daughter has Down syndrome, which is why you chose an adoption plan. So there's already a piece about who she is that you've rejected, right? Mm-hmm. So that feels personal or, mm-hmm. or it makes like the mama bear in me growl a little bit. And I've seen her through serious health issues. Like we didn't know if she'd still be alive at two years old. And I'm the one who did that. Like I am her mom and just know that these are the things in my heart. I'm not saying this out loud. Well, no. And I'm glad you're saying them out loud because I think it to one extent or another, they're the thing in every adoptive mom's heart. Yeah. That, that piece that's like, you have no idea. And I'm the one who's there and who are Mm -hmm. you and where have Mm -hmm. you been? Right. And so then we show up and it's just this beautiful family that loves my, who loves my daughter and it is their daughter, you know, like she is their daughter and their niece and their granddaughter and their cousin. That's who she is. And that's how she's being embraced by everybody, but they're not trying to take her from me. And so it was this like living out for those couple hours, like you're her mom and I'm her mom period. Like that's that, you know, And, and it's weird and just holding it with open hands and realizing that, oh, this actually isn't a threat for us. Like, I'm not threatened by this. And this is your, my kids' birth mothers, their narrative is this is their kid. Like when, when someone says, how many kids do you have? They, my kids are included in their number, mm-hmm. you know? And that's their, because that's their story. And I can't, I can choose to like be threatened by it and shut off by it, or I can yeah. choose to step into it. Um, and I'm, I also know that this isn't the case for a lot of people. We've been very lucky that it is for us. And so it is, we have relationships with our oldest and youngest birth parents. We don't with our middle daughter. And so for our oldest and our youngest, it is a situation where the birth family chose an adoption plan um, with the hopes of having contact still. And they are healthy and whole in the best ways they can be in, in their best way. And it's not harmful for my kids to be with their birth family, you know? And that's not the case for everybody. I'm I'm sure you have lots of listeners or maybe your your experience. I have friends who've adopted and it's like, they. I just had a friend recently say to me, when you talk about how much you love your birth moms, she's like, I don't know how to do that. I actually can't, I actually feel hatred towards my kid's birth mom because of the choices that she made and is still making to harm my son and her biological kids. Like I'm, I don't have any good feelings towards her and I can't let my son be in relationship with her. And it's like, yeah, that's actually a real narrative also, you know? Well, and I think that is especially unique to kids who are adopted through foster care. Uh And that is one of the, the benefits of, of the story of your children who were placed for adoption, loving parents who made a loving choice. Um, I think it can be really hard for for parents who adopted out of foster care. But 
I don't think that your narrative can or should be completely thrown away because like you said, you could view them as people who saw Down syndrome as something to throw away and throw Mm -hmm. away. But I think even for you, you chose compassion Mm -hmm. and you chose understanding and have been able to experience the beauty of this from then. And so I think, you know, we have different relationships with our different Mm -hmm. kids' parents and all of that, but I don't think the heart needs to be different. I think the way it plays out may be very different and it may be we pursue one here and not one there or this one we will always protect we will never pursue this until something changes but it doesn't mean that the heart has to be different i think fighting for that same heart of like you said this she's your child and you count her man when you said that that really hit me you count her and they think of them on Mother's Day and birthdays. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as much as we can continue to shift perspective, it's only going to serve us and our kids. Like this isn't even about the birth parents. Totally. <laughs> this is about us and our kids. And, you know, some of my kids' parents I hate um, yeah. if I'm left to my own devices. But yeah. fighting for love that is supernatural because of how I've been loved by Christ and also because of how much I love my kids. It's absolutely, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but the amount of adult adoptees who I know, like, I don't know a single one who doesn't care about who their birth mother is. Exactly. Yeah. And so our kids, our adopted kids are going to have a deep love for their birth mother, whether they are a drug addict or whether they are not, or, you know, whatever the, whatever their situation is. Yeah. And I just know that that's going to be the case. And so how can we as a family honor that and um, tell the, tell the full story in an age appropriate way, right? Like some of our kids have really heavy stories that they don't need to know when they're five or even 15, but how do we make sure that we don't, we don't mask things. We don't hide things. We don't create shame because it's who are, it's a part of our kid's story and, and not just a little part. Like it's a, their birth family is a huge piece of, of the puzzle of who they are. Um, yeah. So if we can, I always encourage people, if you can have a relationship with the birth family, I know that that feels terrifying, especially for a first time adoptive parent. But if you can have that, just hold it real open. Like just, just lean that way and see how That's it That's such a great way to put it. Lean that way. We're, it doesn't have to be that they're in your home once a week for dinner. Totally. It could be Forever. just that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It could just be that there is contact and there is um, an availability. I mean, I just keep thinking, I want my kids to feel like they've been on this journey with me by their side. Not that they've been doing it sort of against my will or behind my back, but that this is something together. We're seeking information. We're seeking relationship. And it may be very limited, but it's it's a cause that we're both fighting for. Totally. And I think at the end of the day, like if you have a birth mom who's making bad choices, I, as humans, it's like we, and people, especially who love the Lord, like we're rooting for other people to yeah. be well. And so I'm sure the truth is you don't want your kid's birth mother to be a hot mess forever. It's like, let's root for health and wholeness. And hopefully there is a time when your kid can be in a room with their birth parents in a healthy whole way. So let's continue to, to yeah, lean towards what could happen and if you feel scared about it, it's okay, you know, yeah, like, yeah. seek wisdom and, and guidance, but, but don't be closed, you know, right. don't close the door. Yeah. 
I love your perspective there. Thanks, All right. Man. I want to talk more just about you as a person. I want to know Ooh. what you're doing, eating, reading, watching, and listening to. So oh. what are you doing these days? Oh gosh. I run my own business. And so it's just different every day. Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel that. And that is oh. running your business means that you never check out. It means that oh you go gosh. to sleep thinking about it and you wake up and it's yes. there. And yeah. Yes. It's a lot. Um, we have some fun events for 2020 planned. So we're, we're working on, we have three major projects. My husband works with me full time. Also, we both run this together. Um, so we have three major projects we're working on right now. So we're doing that. One's a live event. Um, one's a travel opportunity and one is a movie, which is fun. So hopefully that'll happen. Yeah. That's like pretty far out there. I can't wait to follow all of those. Wouldn't that be fun? That's amazing. Um, so stay tuned and then, okay, that's what I'm doing. What else? Yeah. So what are you eating? Oh, you know what I did recently? Um, I did keto, but so keto is when you just don't eat carbs and I've watched my family go through it. It looks like torture. (laughs) So I actually really like it. Oh, good. I actually really like doing it, but it's tricky in social settings. So I was doing keto and, um, and then we're entering into a season of a lot of social fun things and like cozy things. Right. Right. (laughs) So I just don't love like last week we went, I, I stopped doing keto last week because we had three dinners last week at someone else's home. And it's like, I'm just not going to be the person that's showing, showing up, up everywhere. I can't have carbs with like a handful of almonds for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, really love food and I love the social aspect of food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like ditching keto right now. So I was doing keto, but now I'm eating anything. For I, a good cause food. for yes, the love exactly. of, of people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What are you reading? Um, I'm reading a book called dry. He wrote, um, running with scissors. Forever okay. Ago. Oh yeah. I love that book. Name? Augustine. Um, oh my I'm, gosh. You'll find it. Yeah. I'm reading his memoir about, Oh, um, he's so good. He was an alcoholic and so yeah. I'm becoming, becoming sober. Yeah. Oh, cool. Is that, yeah. is that new or I am no I idea. just I, like totally missed the train on that? I actually oh, I really like him. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. What are you watching? So many things. I feel like whenever it's a Christian audience, I shouldn't say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you won't get judgment from uh, me, but. <laughs> okay. We're watching Succession. It's on HBO Go. I don't know. It. Succession is amazing. Oh my gosh. It's we don't have HBO. Thing. Okay. We use our friend's login. And then. <laughs> okay. See that you might get judgment for. <laughs> I'll get judgment for it. That's okay. And um, I'm watching Grey's Anatomy always. It's one of my very favorites. I've okay. seen every episode from the get-go. Yeah, I gave up, but my husband doesn't give up on anything ever, oh, including wow. silly TV shows. So okay. he still watches it. Yeah. I wa- we actually I have a few shows I watch, but those two I'm watching right now. Fun. All right, I'll have to look up Succession. And what are you listening to? Actually, talk about your podcast. Yeah, I lo- and I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Um, I have a podcast called the lucky few podcast and we I have two co-hosts and they're both are moms who have kids with down syndrome and we talk about down syndrome stuff. So we talk about hot topics or we bring guests on, um, for topics that are important to our community. And we have a weekly pot or weekly episodes that come out on Mondays and it's really fun. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I'll link to that. Definitely listen if you have kids who are affected by Down syndrome or even just learning. I mean, and that's the thing about you. I've followed you for years. I... (laughs) It's not because of Down syndrome. It's because of you and your perspective. And I've learned so much from you. And just being able to talk to you this little bit, I want to keep going and going. But it's really been a gift to just hear your perspective and learn from you. Um, So thank you so much for your time today. It was just so sweet. Thanks. Thanks for following along. It means a lot. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us online, www.realmompodcast.com or on iTunes and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash realmompodcast or Instagram at realmompodcast. Thanks so much for listening.